Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome everybody. We're back at the Invested Podcast. So happy to be here with you all to talk about how to invest Warren Buffett style, Charlie Munger style, deep value investing. What what else could we call it? We call this every kind of investing. Garp. I think it's Garp. Growth at a reasonable price. What is that? uh, G-A-R-P. Yeah, growth at a reasonable price. Sometimes we call that. So trying to distinguish between this kind of investing that Buffett's been doing for 60 years and which has produced the best returns in the world, bar none, um, long-term investing from pretty much everything the academics would call value investing, what you'd learn in school about value investing. And uh, it's just so different in the real world what, what we do and I think it's fabulous. So I'm teaching Danielle, my daughter, as you guys know, we're in podcast 300 and Good Lord, where are we at? 362. Indeed. All right, we're going to go. <clears throat> we're going to we're going to try to go. We Yeah, we were talking last time about um the upheaval in the markets and what to do when companies and markets and the world is in so much uncertainty and how to reevaluate perhaps previously held ideas or decisions like I've realized I should have been doing and also like how to discover the companies that are going to not only make it through an uncertain time, but maybe even do really well through an uncertain time, which is what you pointed out Buffett did so, so well in the 70s and early 80s, when a lot of fund managers were really having trouble, and he really made himself during that time. So we were going to talk about like inflation-proof anti-fragile companies. Yeah, that's. I mean, Buffett made a major shift uh, toward the late '60s, and in his investing strategy. Right when you when he first started, he was very small. He went door to door to the neighborhoods and collected ten thousand dollars from from neighbors and created a hundred thousand dollar fund with seven or eight Which people in it. It's a huge amount of money in the '50s. Well, yeah, it's more than we have now. It'd be like, like he, probably you forty know, grand. His dad or something. was a stockbroker. Like he, you know, he like had a probably upper middle class neighborhood to go collect that money from. Probably. Yeah. I mean, his dad was not only a stockbroker, he was a representative to the U.S. True. government. Later also, on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but but I don't think Buffett at that. I don't, we're not talking rich. We're talking upper for Omaha. Upper for middle, Omaha, they were like right? a very comfortable family, I think, but not rich. Yes. Right. And so probably collecting, I don't know, somebody could do the work on it, but probably $10,000 a person was really like 40000 today, maybe. So, you know, a sizable chunk of money. When I started out, I did the same thing, and I collected $10,000, but that was 1981, 1980. And yeah. so that was you probably really 20000 done better for yourself, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's you gotta so, aim for so the moon. No, what is it? You gotta aim for the stars, and maybe you'll hit the moon. Or you now, gotta the, aim the for the weird no, the thing stars here. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, and it wasn't really my intention to talk about this today. But since I mentioned it, um, I would like to use our our tremendous reach here with our audience. We have a lot of people listening to this to urge you to lobby the um, securities people in your state and probably the securities people in Washington, D.C., like send a copy to them. Okay, because, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. I just want to say it. What I, is I the thing before you tell anybody to go lobby for it? Okay, what the thing is, is that what Warren Buffett did by going door to door in the neighborhood to get $10,000 from neighbors yeah. is pretty much illegal now in most states. Like, you can't do that. You're, there's all kinds of restrictions on you. Um, and the biggest one being, <clears throat> here's the real killer, is that for some reason, securities people have decided, and this isn't, well, maybe even national security. The securities law is a, a mess. But what they've decided is that it's wrong for you, the individual person who thinks they know how to invest, to go like Buffett did to some neighbor and get $10,000 and invest it for him and take a piece of the profit. It's the take a piece of the profit problem that is just making it, it's just eliminated the ability to do what I did to become a millionaire, what Buffett did, what my teacher did. It's all been eliminated by this one little tweak that says, oh, you can't take a percentage of profits unless they're millionaires that you're getting the money from. I hear and you. And since your neighbors aren't millionaires, you've completely restricted. So, for example, I wanted so, to teach some inner city kids how to do this and have mm -hmm. them go out there and, and make something of their lives instead of going to jail. Okay? That was the idea. Wow. Ran right into a wall immediately. Some smart kid, you get a Jay-Z kind of a kid on the street, totally capable of being a fabulous investor. Okay. And... Bam, you can't do it. You can't make the case that, hey, man, you don't have to do illegal things to get rich. You can do a legal thing to get rich right until we found out it's now an illegal thing again. So I just find it so stupid that the regulators have determined in their big brother view of the world that they need to be paternal and protect everyone from losing money because some person's going to invest their money and take a percentage rather than right rather than charge a fee so i think it's absolute yep. crap frustrating there you go um very i'm curious what such a person might invest in just to get back to the anti-fragile inflation proof right on companies. well you learn you learn what we've been teaching you for 362 lessons you do businesses you understand with a big moat no, 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 good no. management the and they're on sale that's what companies Guess what? Those are inflation-proof companies. What are the anti-fragile companies? Hint is what you said. They have a big moat. How is this different than what we've been teaching for five it's years? It's not, or but how you made now? a big deal about it at the very end of our last discussion. So, so you the must big have deal had something is... more to say than just go listen to the previous 360 episodes. <laughs> So we don't need to make a new podcast to tell everybody that. Okay, so first off, that is critically important to understand. That what a big moat does, uh, let, let, let me go a little step back. A big moat 
is a durable competitive advantage. And the point of that is that competitors can't cross the moat and and force you to lower your prices. That's what happens when you don't have a big moat. I think that's the key. That's <clears> the key. <throat> what you just said the second part. They can't cross the moat and force you to lower your prices because where inflation comes in is a price problem. Price wars. Right. It's a price problem. It's... Um, the cost of goods, it's the cost of your supply chain, it's all of those things forcing a company to pass on those higher prices to a customer. And you can make an argument that maybe they don't have to pass it on, but typically they do. Oh, yeah. And will the customers stay with those companies or will those higher prices crumble the moat? I think that's my biggest concern. Will those highest pr higher prices crumble the moat that some great company has worked so hard on and then create a situation where a disruptor can come in and do a better job. And not that that's like bad for, um, for us consumers, maybe that's a really good thing, but as an investor, I don't wanna be in a company that has that kind of vulnerability. And, and I think if you're in a company that has that kind of vulnerability, you're in a company that doesn't have a very good moat. Yeah, exactly. You misread exactly. that company yeah. enough to where now you're in a problem. So here's here's some examples of company. Well, here's my best example always that I like to use over and over again, because right now I'm out of it. <laughs> so feel free to buy this if you want to. Um, Chipotle Mexican Grill. Oh my You've God. heard about this for a million years. <laughs> Chipotle has. I was waiting for Seas Candy. I was waiting for IBM. <laughs> I was Apple. waiting for <laughs> Apple. Right. I was waiting for BP. <laughs> <Can't> <clears throat> so, uh, and I can name several right now that I'm actively very excited about and, and buying, but I'm not going to because I'm buying them. Yeah, fair so, enough. But what I want to know is like, what are you looking at? Pros and cons, like what what's good, what's bad? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so the first thing is, is that when you're looking at this moat, one way to look at the moat <clears throat> is to look at pricing power. Does this company demonstrate over the last recession that it has the ability to continue to grow? It has pricing power, two things. It has pricing power, it can raise its prices, and or it can continue to grow. Now, one of the things that makes Chipotle so good is that it sort of sits alone in its niche. And so to a certain degree, it can pass along the price increases that are happening if avocados go up in price, if beans go up, if corn goes up, all of the ingredients, they can pass that along because there's nobody else doing what they do like they do it. There's some mm -hmm. competitors, of course, but essentially who, who will be dealing with the same problem. Right. Okay. And so if they try to keep their prices low, what happens to a big moat company is the big moat company can also keep its prices low, but because it has a bigger moat, 
it has more margin of its profits and therefore will still be making profits when the competitor who is weaker with a smaller moat is pricing themselves out of business. They are now losing money um, in order so to compete on price. So a bigger one would be price. able to absorb those supply price increases. Well, two things. The bigger one can lower its prices and still be profitable if it has to lower prices. If a competitor is just going kamikaze and dropping prices like crazy, it'll be a war that they can't win. The, the, the stronger, the bigger moat will win that war. So, for example, when CF Industries, which makes nitrogen fertilizer, uh, is in a, which is a, a commodity, <clears throat> at, at that, as the commodity prices go down like crazy because there's too much supply, CF is still making money when everybody else in the world is losing money because they have such a big profit margin and a big moat. Hmm. All right. Okay. Um, when it goes the other way, it's like they make a fortune, right? Which is what they're doing right now. Um, when Chipotle Mexican Grill wants to raise its prices, it can raise them to a certain degree, right? Because everybody's facing the same pricing power problems on all of those commodities that Chipotle makes a burrito out of. And so if Chipotle decides it's going to raise its prices and Moe's doesn't, <clears throat> will I go to Moe's? No. That's the question you want. And the answer is no. Unless they raise it a lot and then yeah. Right? So if they have their food prices go up 10% and they raise their overall price by, since food is 30% of the burrito, great. They raise their prices by uh, 3%. That's not going to affect me. I'm not, I'm not going to change going to Chipotle. And the reason why <clears throat> ultimately they'll do well in a recession, an inflationary recession, is because also as the prices go up for all the restaurants everywhere, the, the, um, the restaurants that sit, you know, where you sit down and you have a nice meal, you know, there's a bunch of them out there yeah. that are competing. My family isn't gonna go to those restaurants in a recession. We're gonna go downscale and we're gonna land at Chipotle. Mm -hmm. So Chipotle will gain more customers than it loses in a recession. And that's in fact exactly what happened in the 2008 recession, they actually grew at 20% a year and didn't have to check their prices. They could raise prices. At that point, inflation wasn't a big problem, but they could. They still had pricing power. So when you have a really big moat company and A, it can raise prices and B, it can lower prices and still be profitable and C, it can uh, grow actually in a tight, uh, in a tight economy or recession, that's what we're looking for. That is an, the massively perfect anti-fragile type company. How do you, you decide that it can raise prices and people will stay with them? Because you is can that... see it in the previous recession. Oh, okay. I was going to say, over... like, is that just sort of like a a feel it out. I, you know, no. people seem really committed. They love this restaurant. The prices are low, therefore low compared to a sit-down restaurant. Therefore, I'm going to make the uh, leap of judgment decision that probably people will go to them over a sit-down restaurant because overall it costs less for the family. Those kinds of things, or is it just like you're looking at exact numbers? Yeah, you're looking at numbers. You're looking, and which is why we want to see companies. <clears throat> that have a 10-year track record. We say 10 years. What we really want to see 
is what happened in the last recession. Hmm. And right now we're effectively, you know, we, the COVID recession was, wasn't even a real recession. So the last time there was a real recession was 2008, which is what? What is that, 14 years ago now? Yeah. <clears throat> so this is unprecedented in American economic history that we've gone this long without a recession. And it probably, just as an aside, it probably means the next recession is going to be a butte. It's going to be a big one as they try to, you know, grapple with massive inflation that they've created by avoiding all these recessions. But typically, we have a recession every seven to 10 years. Um, and at that point in time, you can see what happens to a company. When the tide goes out, Warren Buffett likes to say, when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. And by that, he means that companies which don't really have pricing power, but seem to be doing okay in a good economy, right? That's when the competitors all start coming out of the woodwork. Um, when the economy turns bad, those companies are gonna, they're gonna have trouble. They're, they're not as competitive as the companies that are anti-fragile. How do you look back at a company like Chipotle, which was a very different company 14 years ago? Mm -hmm. very different and compare it to what it is now and use that data in a reliable way. So you say very different, like, you know, they were making steel back in 2010, but now they're not. It's not that okay, different. Okay, no, but, uh, but I mean, it was like a Colorado company, you know, started in Denver, run by the founder, mm -hmm. all about like Colorado values and getting their locally sourced meats and well-grown vegetables and organic where they could and really creating this this new idea of dining there was no fast casual back then they invented that mm -hmm. so it was so popular i think because it was so different and you could get it was like it was new to us that you could get healthy fast food and now there are lots of healthy fast food options not all of which are big national or international chains but lots of which are local so i guess my question is like i mean maybe it is a really good um comparison analogy data source but i guess my my view as somebody looking at it would, would be saying to myself like where am i going to get tripped up and maybe one place i would get tripped up is that was a different time in restaurants. That was a different time in the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like how, what's happening now that's different with Chipotle where maybe <clears throat> that, uh, that thing where people don't go out to eat as much or spend less money goes away from Chipotle because nobody wants to pay 12 bucks for a burrito mm -hmm. and goes towards Taco Bell. Mm -hmm. Well, First off, that's not happening, so that's good news, and and uh, the and and so the question is: Is the moat broken? Really, it's what it's what yeah. stuff, stuff yeah. all boils down to. Yeah, exactly. Is did something break their moat? So exactly. there was an argument back in 2015 when they had the E. coli scare that that broke the moat. That here you have this all natural food company, and now they people get sick. It broke the moat. Didn't break the moat. <clears throat> so they've charged back from that. And now they've also... What, what um, is the moat, do you think? Like, what's the moat that that didn't break? Okay, the first moat that they've got, the really big one, is a brand moat. 
that says we are effectively the only national um, gourmet fast food company in the in, we're the only one in the world. Mm -hmm. We're it. We do gourmet fast food. So that's the first moat. Yeah. Yeah, Big sure. brand moat. So nobody in the country does it. <clears throat> no competitors do it. And um, and the reason is the second moat, which is a secrets moat, and that is how do you maintain the health of your customers? How do you keep people healthy if you're doing all fresh food all the time? You don't have any of the preservatives. You don't have the stuff that helps lesser managed companies not have a problem in their restaurants. And that secret is super important to Chipotle. They're the only ones that have figured out how to do this on mm -hmm. a national scale. Yeah. So those two things are gigantic and they haven't changed. Those, I mean, those you two know things I stay the same. I love Chipotle yeah, sure. with every cell of my being. And the second I land in America after this horrific two year hiatus is I'm gonna go to Chipotle. And it really, it's really good food. I mean, that's the, at the bottom line is that <clears throat> Taco John's, if you remember Taco John's. I love Taco John's. Don't you dare oh, say anything negative about Taco this. John's. Oh my God. Taco John's was one of the first companies to do their beans, their refried beans without lard. No, I love did them you know even that? more. No, I did not know that. Yeah. They were like, let's go hardcore natural. Yeah. Natural. But Taco John's has never caught on because These people are, although no they're taste. a minority of people, like some people we know who like them, <laughs> many people find it not great. <laughs> it might be because they don't have any lard. It might be because burrito, they didn't beans. have Taco John's <clears throat> as their special restaurant outing as a child <laughs> That's right. once a week after piano right. lessons. I had a good friend of mine that was running one. Oh, my God. We would go up there all the time. That, so, what do you mean? Yeah. In Fairfield? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Well, you... I don't know where you were at work, I guess. But after piano lessons, on Wednesday at lunchtime, mom would take me to, to Taco, Taco John's, John's. Because we didn't have time to get any other food. And well, honey, she, also in Fairfield, that was the epitome of, of healthy fast food. That was it. That was, that was your one choice. But you should have told mom that because she would scoff at it every single time. <laughs> How well, the rest of it might not it be so healthy. <laughs> the potato but, you know. lays at Taco John's. Oh, yeah, those are good. God, now I have to go to Chipotle and Taco John's. <laughs> well, back to Chipotle. Of American restaurants to visit. All right, guys. So the, All the of real you in was, the U.S. listening okay. who can go <clears throat> to any of these places, go for me. Just go. Oh, man. I will eat fondue and raclette for you everybody you send danielle a taco john's burrito yeah that's go ahead, not send gonna it to her go in so zurich well. <laughs> <laughs> go for it so, so uh yeah. back okay. to so back will, to anti-fragile the great question is will a now giant international burrito chain like chipotle mm. do better in a recession yeah they they will because you have to understand the moat's still there and then it's just a question of how big can they get okay so here, let's point. talk about the moat okay go ahead and so what what of course chipotle has done is provide us with a business plan to get very big indeed yeah and that means they get they can put in 
drive-through windows, which they didn't have. They can double the amount of food they can put out. They can breakfast. have a couple serving lines. Breakfast. I'm There's a so lot of things they can do to breakfast. grow. <clears throat> so anyway, that's Here's the thing, though. Okay, so the two the two brands, Secrets, or sorry, the two moats, Secrets and Brand, I agree. The Secrets one, that's really strong. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to get broken by a recession. The Brand, though, I'm not 100%. Like, Chipotle is not really that cheap anymore. Compared the brand to, isn't compared about to cheap. cheap, cheap, right? So but the brand has never been about cheap. Hello? The brand <laughs> has never been about cheap. The brand has been about quality of fast food. So the brand I is fast. I think it's fast. quality at the right price, no? <clears throat> no. It's oh. quality and it's quick. So, um, but of course, price becomes part of it because you are performing a service to get people down the road quickly. And there's a limit to what people will pay for a restaurant food. Yeah. Um, but the the cost of the next tier up <clears throat> is so much higher on a per person basis. And we're talking 20 to 50% higher on the next tier up, which is you go sit down kind of a place that no, I don't think pricing has come into it yet. Particularly because if you're going to compete with them on quality, you've got to pay the same stuff for food that they pay. In fact, you probably have to pay more because they're so much bigger and they can get bargains. That's a very, so, actually, that is an excellent point to my question about the difference between Chipotle in 2008 and Chipotle now. They have so economies of scale on a level they couldn't have ever reached back then. And that is massive pricing power. It's massive negotiation with suppliers. It's um, its ability to spread costs across the different regions. It's um, shipping costs being changed because of their power, like just everything. So you guys, you guys all know that if you've been listening to the podcast all the way along, you know that we were out there talking about Chipotle as an awesome company. Uh, at 300, at 250, at 280. It's currently, I think, running at 1500 per share. So mm -hmm. imagine if you took a look at this back five years ago when it was super cheap, or four, three years ago, actually, I think it was super cheap. The compounded rate of return, I'm just going to say this to kind of wrap up this podcast, is okay. the compounded rate of return when you can buy a wonderful anti fragile business on sale, which Chipotle was very evidently on sale. Um, as a result of this E. coli problems. So 2018 is four years ago. In four years, you could take $250 a share and it went to 500 to 1,000 and then almost to 2,000. So it, I think at one point it was very close to 2,000. That's a triple in four years. So those of you who are skeptical that, that you might have to take a lot of risk to make a high rate of return or that this is something that's only for really smart people and who can figure out, you know, some technology company, um, and that high rates of return um, are a fiction. All of those things are just look at the prices on Chipotle stock from the time we've been talking about it. Heck, it was in my book in two thousand five. Okay, so mm. from the time we've been talking about buying back in, which was around two, two three hundred bucks a share, and it got down to two fifty, you could have made. $10,000 become 20, 40, 80. $10,000 became $80,000 with Chipotle in four years. 
So I think it's just a really powerful example of what can happen with a big moat company that is anti-fragile, that has an event going on, which puts it on sale, that anybody could have understood. Everybody could have understood this one. So they don't come along like that every day, you guys. That's the main thing to understand. And that's why we have an education. That's why we study this stuff is so that you can feel comfortable when it does come along, you can recognize it and just get in there with a pickup truck load, not a thimble, right? You want to really not, load uh, up the truck. Freak out like I did <laughs> and sell it. <laughs> that can happen too. All right, let's uh, let's go on. We'll we'll talk in some more way, about anti-fragile. In a way, though, I don't regret it because it was a really good lesson to learn really early in my investing career. Well, you've done very very well, and let's talk about more anti-fragile. More anti-fragile, please. Out. Okay. Okay. Until next time, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.